Unwrapping Christmas is this short series. And this weekend, the title is The Stories Behind the Story. The Stories Behind the Story. And we're thinking about Mary, about Mary. Let me read to you from Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. It says this. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Uh, It all began when I signed up for one of those ancestry, ancestry websites, you know, the genealogical Uh, search stuff, I was interested uh, to find out a bit about my family background, my own story. I knew a little bit about it. Uh, Lucas is a German name. Uh, I knew that my great-grandfather went to England from Cologne, Germany, and he got into England smuggled in a box. Don't know why he did that, but that was his choice of travel. And apart from that, um, I didn't know very much. And it's just been fascinating. I've gone back to the 14th century, Um, I found out some pretty harrowing stuff. Two of my great-grandparents on my dad's side died in London workhouses as paupers, absolutely destitute with nothing. And uh, this week I wasn't on the website, but I was just thinking about the family background, and, um, and suddenly I discovered or I thought about something, and I thought I'd investigate it, and I kind of got some personal news. I said to Kay, should I share this. She said, go ahead. You know, good writing, it's been said, is about sitting down on a chair and just opening a vein. And maybe that can be true of preaching as well. So I found out this stuff. You see, growing up in the East End of London, um, my family, we always live with my grandparents. We live with my grandparents in their home. And I'd never, ever thought, why did we do that? I mean, I'm, I'm 63 And it never occurred to me to ask, why didn't we have our own home? And it it occurred to me that maybe that was because we couldn't afford our own home. So I decided this week to call my brother. He lives in Thailand. And I said, "Uh, what, what was that about? And he said, well, it's quite simple. He said, we came from one of the worst slums in East London. And he said, in 1933, your grandmother won a lottery prize, a lottery prize. I'm not endorsing it, just reporting it. And uh, she won $1,300 in 1933. That is $90,000 in today's money. 
And my grandparents used that money to buy a house, cash. They bought a house in London for $500. How many say, let's turn the clock back to that? But actually, that understanding about my parents and about the situation that we were in unlocked in me some understanding about some stuff and some details that I won't bore you with right now. I discovered the story behind the story. And that inspired me as I came to this familiar story of Mary to start trying to look at it and think, what are the stories behind this story? Here she is, Mary. And Mary She polarizes opinion. There are some traditions that venerate her, that call her the the mother of God, the perpetual virgin who ascended uh, to heaven, beatified in artwork. That is not our tradition. But sometimes the Protestant reaction to that is that we almost ignore her or bring her out at Christmas and just dust her down and look at her story now. Actually, She has a lot to say to us today that is extremely relevant. So let's dive in and look at the story behind the story. The first thing is this. The first thing is that God uses ordinary people. God uses ordinary people. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. This girl, she's really ordinary. Um, Two non-biblical sources... One says that she was 12, the other 14. That's kind of shocking to us, but that was the culture of the day. They could be betrothed or engaged very young. Uh, It is considered that she was very possibly illiterate, that her knowledge of the Scriptures would be memorized from what she'd heard from at home and in the synagogue. But her life would not have been extraordinary before the angel showed up. She would get married... She would have children. She would never travel too far from home. Uh, One day she would die like thousands of others before her. Putting it bluntly, um, as one writer puts it, a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Nazareth was a non-place, it said. Shoddy, corrupt, halfway stopped between the port cities of Tyre and Sidon, overrun by Gentiles and Roman soldiers. I think you can sum all of that up in in one word, podunk. Don't know what that means, but podunk. That's where she is from. Nathaniel said about Nazareth, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? That was the reputation of the place that Mary was from. Nobody from nowhere. But what we see in this story is that God only uses ordinary people. I've said this a lot, Timberline, but let me say it again. God only uses ordinary people, and this is primarily because nothing else is available. (laughs) We're ordinary. We're ordinary. And Mary was ordinary, not just because of her background, but she was also imperfect. She was flawed. Let me show you another episode. Let's fast forward. Uh, Jesus is grown and in ministry now. And there is a shocking episode that is so shocking that Luke and Matthew, they don't even mention it in their Gospels. Look at this. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said, 
He is out of his mind. And then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him when they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Think about this. They're saying he's out of his mind. The Greek word means he is out of his head. He is off his head. And Mary and Jesus' younger brothers, they believe the rumors, and they stage an intervention. And it's very significant. It says that they, they went to take hold of him. The Greek word there means to arrest. It's the same word used to describe the arrest of John the Baptist and the arrest of Jesus in Gethsemane. This is a really sad episode. Uh, John chapter 7 tells us that Jesus' brothers did not believe in him even towards the end of his ministry, although eventually after the resurrection that changed. But I just wonder this, did she really regret that day? And what about me? What about you? Is there an episode in your personal history that when you look back on it, you can't get past it? It shames you. You define yourself by that moment. You want to move on, but you just feel so ashamed. Chuck Swindoll said, most folks are better acquainted with their guilt and shame than they are with their God. And the tragedy is this happens to a lot of Christians, people who believe the good news, but don't apply it. A counselor once said this, many years ago, I was driven to the conclusion that the two major causes of most emotional problems among Christians are these. The failure to understand, receive, and live out God's unconditional grace and forgiveness, and the failure to give out that unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace to other people. We read, we hear, we believe a good theology of grace, but that's not the way we live. The good news of the gospel of grace has not penetrated the level of our emotions. Is that us? Let me put it like this. Some of us in this room watching on the internet, we're here, but we always feel a bit like spectators. Like not quite fully in because of that shame that we feel. And I don't know how the Holy Spirit does it, but I do know the Bible teaches us that it is a work of the Holy Spirit to enable us to cry out, Abba, Father. Why not allow yourself to be counted in, feeling very ordinary, perhaps even paralyzed by shame? Mary had to do that. Secondly, let's see that questions and surrender go together. Questions and surrender go together. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? But then a couple of verses later we read, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. I want you to notice the flow of the narrative because Mary is highly favored, but then she becomes greatly troubled. Now, no wonder. I mean, you imagine that. An angel shows up, ladies, and says, hey, you're pregnant. Hello? Well, how? Well, it's God. Oh, okay. Well, that explains it then. Thanks a lot. This had never happened before in human history. And this news is shared with her. And then some of the most poignant words in the whole episode, it says, and then the angel left her. Whoa! 
If I'd have been her, I'd have said, excuse me, step away from the angelic chariot. Don't you dump this on me and then just head out. And then the angel left her. And then there's Joseph to deal with. How's he going to react and the possibility of scandal and danger. There's all kinds of questions, but she submitted in the midst of her questions. Faith, someone really needs to hear this. Faith is not about having all your questions answered. It's about trusting often in the midst of your questions. Mother Teresa, who gave herself so heroically to serve the poor and dying in Calcutta, she admitted that for 30 years she'd sensed little of the presence of God. She said, the silence and the emptiness is so great. I look and do not see. I listen and I do not hear. But she just kept obeying. And Mary responds with obedience. She says, I'm the handmaid of the Lord. The word means slave girl. Complete obedience. Do you know what, everybody? Sometimes what we have to do is just obey whether we feel like it or not. Forgive me, I've shared about this before, but um, Kay and I experienced that when we were newly married, the first few years of marriage, and we were church planting back in England, and... Uh, uh, we'd been married three or four years, and, and we had a two-year-old, our first child. And we had a lady in our church, Mrs. Robinson. And Mrs. Robinson was from the West Indies. Her husband had left her years earlier. Uh, and uh, she had two teenage girls, and she was dying of cancer. And um, I used to go visit her. And she was a joyous lady, a joyful lady, and She'd say, Pastor Jeff, I'm not worried about dying. I'm just worried about what's going to happen to my girls. And I'd give her a Bible verse, you know, 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast your cares upon him. He cares for you. And uh, I'd go the next week and visit her. And she'd, she'd make the same speech. I'm not worried about my girls. I'm not worried about dying, but I am worried about my girls. And I'd give her another Bible verse. God's going to take care of it. And then I came out of her house one day after sharing another verse and I felt like God spoke to me. I don't experience that a lot, but I felt that that day. And I felt like God said to me, how am I going to take care of it then? And I'm like, I don't know. That's not my job. You're God. That is your job description. And I began to feel as I'm walking home that God was asking if Kay and I would foster these girls. And I'm like, I don't know, 23, 24, something like that. And we've got a two-bedroom home and a two-year-old. What, what are we going to do? So I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray that something impossible happens, like it's called laying a fleece. I haven't got time to unpack that. But you say, if this happens, then I think it means that. It's not a great idea, actually. <laughs> and I, I said, all right. I said, I'm going to walk into the house, Lord, and I'm going to say to Kay, let's, let's foster Hazel and Denise. And if you want us to do this, she's going to say, without any questions, sounds like a good idea to me. I thought, that's gotcha. <laughs> so I walked into the house, and Kay was ironing. Kay was ironing. And I said, honey, uh, I think we should foster Hazel and Denise. And she looked up and smiled and said, sounds like a good idea to me. <laughs> I'm like, rats. 
So we went through the process and we were terrified. We met with social services. We shared with Mrs. Robinson. We got it all together. One day, Mrs. Robinson called the girls into her bedroom and she sat up in bed and she puffed up the pillars, made herself comfortable. And she said, girls, today I'm going to go and be with Jesus and you're going to go and be with Jeff and Kay. And she laughed out loud and died. <laughs> That's the way to go. And we got the phone call. We're on vacation. You've got two kids. I don't say that in any sense of heroics. I say that in confession. Now, frankly, I was terrified of this. But it was a matter of obedience. Sometimes you just have to obey. And what blessing there has been because our kids have got two sisters now. All these years later. Sometimes it's just a matter of Obeying, she does that. And maybe you're not a Christian today and you're saying, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make that step when I've got, I've got all my questions answered. Maybe it's time to make the step and then see some of those questions resolved. Some of them may not ever be. The third thing is this. God responds to our fragility. God responds to our fragility. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. There's something beautiful here. The story's behind the story. You see, God knew Mary's fragility. So look at this. She hears from the angel. <clears throat> then she hears confirmation from Elizabeth. Then she hears confirmation from Joseph. Then she hears confirmation from the arriving shepherds. Then they take the baby to the temple, and Simeon prophesies over the family. And it says the child's father and mother marveled about what was said about him. Then she hears from Anna. It's beautiful because in her fragility, God helped her. God knows your fragility. Sir, you, you, you don't have to man up all the time. You don't, have to, you don't have to stand on your own two feet. You, you can come to Jesus with your struggles and your weakness and your fragility because there's something of beautiful tenderness here that he doesn't say, go, go away and come back when you've got yourself sorted. That's the opposite of the gospel. The, the gospel is, come unto me, Jesus says, all you who are weary and burdened. He knows our fragility. Fourthly, be persistent. Be persistent. Let's fast forward now to the first miracle that Jesus performed. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had been had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Why did, why did she get Jesus involved? In fact, it's a good question because Jesus asked her that. Why are, you, why are you getting me involved with this? Well, think about it. Joseph was very likely dead at this time. And so Mary, women could not earn very much in that culture, Mary would have had to have relied very heavily upon her eldest son. Who would that be? 
That would be Jesus. So she's kind of got used to leaning on her boy. And she knows that he's not just very special and significant. She's been given a glimpse of his identity, his miraculous birth, obviously. And she says, can you, can you fix this? By the way, in that culture, if you invited guests to a wedding and you ran out of wine, they were legally able to sue you. Oh, yeah. This was, this was a disaster. And he says to her, my hour has not come. What does that mean? Well, in John's gospel, the hour actually refers repeatedly to the time when Jesus went to the cross. John is, John is looking forward to the cross and where Jesus would pay the price for all of us to experience the new wine of life and joy. He's not saying the hour for miracles is not here. He's looking forward, if you will, to the cross. And it's like, as she asks him, she persists and she says to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. And there is a sense of her gently nudging Jesus into his ministry. She's persistent. I, I, I just want to ask this question. Are there prayers that we used to pray that we've abandoned because we don't want to be disappointed? We, we've got weary of praying them. I can, I can think of that in my own life where for 30 years I've been asking God to do something in that situation and it hasn't happened, so I'd kind of noticed I'd stop doing it. I've been challenged this week by Mary's persistence to pick up some of those requests again and push through the potential fear of disappointment and ask again, how about, how about you? Well, the last thing is this, and that is when all is lost, God cares and places us in the warmth of community. When all is lost, God cares and places us in the warmth of community. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. I, I, can't, I can't think of anything more agonizing than a mother witnessing her son's execution. Remember Simeon? I mentioned him. He had prophesied. He'd, he'd warned Mary 33-odd years earlier, a sword will pierce your own soul too. She's right in the purposes of God, but she is suffering. It's painful. Can I just say, following Jesus doesn't exempt us from pain. I learned that afresh just 24 hours ago. Uh, a report came in from the African nation of Burkina Faso. While we were worshiping here last Sunday, 14 Christians were killed in an attack in the east of that country. Uh, the president of the nation said that it was a small new church with less than 30 members, most of them young men and girls between 10 and 14 years of age. Only one member of the church was over 40. 
Uh, the attack happened as the service had ended and members were leaving the church. Approximately 12 attackers circled everybody when they came out and separated the men from the women, sent the women back inside. The men were placed on the ground. The men and the boys were placed on the ground. They were, their heads were covered with cloths and they killed them one by one. And you say, Pastor Jeff, it's Christmas. Come on, why, why are you telling us this? It's because you see, the Advent, the Christmas message is a message of hope for a broken world. And let's never shut that world out. A Christian leader from Burkina Faso, I, was so, I am so humbled by his response. He said this, and I quote, We would like Christians around the world to join us in prayer. There is no need for the church in Burkina Faso to be fearful, no need to be angry, nor to complain. Just pray that the Lord, the Prince of Peace, rescues Burkina Faso from terrorism, from threat and fear. He said, once again, our values of tolerance, forgiveness, and love were violated. The freedom of worship enshrined in our basic law has been trampled on. However, it is in the love of God and of our neighbor, in unity and solidarity, by, by ridding ourselves of all spirit of fear and revenge. <coughs> Excuse me that we will eventually overcome. He concluded by saying this. As Christmas approaches, our hearts beat to welcome the Prince of Peace who comes to make peace between humans and their God, between humans themselves, so that all can say together, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. What stunning faithfulness in the midst of pain. Jesus is on the cross. And he fulfills his final responsibility to the, as the eldest son of a widow by making arrangements for his mother's care. Because now she's losing her eldest son. Now there's a story behind the story. There are questions. So what about... What about the younger brothers? Where were they? Well, we do know that Jesus' brothers did not believe in him right up until the end of his ministry. After the resurrection, that changed. But they weren't there. And it could just simply be that they were back at their family home, which was in Capernaum, and now they're in Jerusalem. But for whatever reason, they're not there. But what we do know is this. Mary discovered a new family in the Christian family. And later, in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, we read this. Look at this. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Mary found a home in the Christian family. We often talk, don't we, about connecting here in Timberline. Rick Warren said... Many people think that Christianity is a belief system, but it's actually a belong system. What a privilege it is with the freedom that we enjoy today, for which we thank God, to be able to worship together and be part of the family of God. And that, that involves serving too. Pray, give, go. For John, remember John who's told to look after Mary? That involves serving. And, and don't think that this was easy, like 
a New Testament version of the Waltons. Remember the Waltons? Good night, John Boy. Good night, Mary. No. You see, now he's got to find, he's got another mouth to feed. And, and there's another twist behind the story because John was married to James, excuse me, but was brother to James. And James was martyred by Herod. So his mother, Salome, he would have had to taken care of her as well. So think about this. Now you've got a household with a mother shattered by the martyrdom of her son. And by this woman, Mary, whose her boy was executed, he's raised from the dead. There's joy, but there's pain and mystery in it all. I don't think it was easy. Tradition has it that Mary ended her days by living for 11 years with John and his family in Jerusalem. Some say that John did not begin his preaching ministry until after she had died. Others say she was with him in Ephesus when he preached the gospel. But the point is this, he kept serving, kept serving her. Serving can be a bit irritating, can't it? You volunteer for the parking lot out there. There's black ice. And then someone arrives and they realize that their parking lot, the reserved space that Jesus gave them, is unavailable. Pastor Dari often says, you find out if you're really a servant by the way you react when people treat you like one. A couple of years ago, we were on our way back from our Israel trip. We come back via London. And uh, Ken and I got the passport, so we get through first. And uh, we're in the baggage claim area, and everybody in our group is still not through. So I decided to start just taking our group's bags off of the belt, you know, the baggage belt, and stacking them. And this lady came up to me, and she thought I was a porter. So she, uh, she, she that's my bag. Take my bag off the belt. So I thought, okay. So I take her bag off the belt, and she said, there's another one coming. Wait, wait that one. Take her bag off the belt. And then I, I put the bags on her trolley, on, on her cart. She said, not that way, silly. Turn them around. <laughs> so I put her bag the right way round. She, she didn't say thank you. You know, you know what really ticked me off? Didn't even give me a tip. <laughs> you find out if you're a servant by the way you react when people treat you like one. Learned a good lesson that day. Hey, I'm looking around here. I, I, I see people you, you serve 
thank you for doing that. Sometimes people don't notice, and sometimes you don't feel like it, you don't want to do it. It feels like a thankless task. Thank you for doing it. And if you don't, if your tendency is to spectate, and I understand, by the way, am I right in saying there's this little football game happening today? Is that, is that, is that right? Some of you are like, I don't know. I think the Broncos are playing today. Steady on. And you know, you know who the loudest people are going to be in the stadium? The spectators. They're going to instruct multi-million dollar athletes. Their primary gift, the spectators, is the lifting of pizza to face. But they know how the game should be played. Oh, yeah. Now, I mean, Christians like that, they don't actually do much, but they sure know how it should be done. You say, Pastor Jeff, this is tough talk. It is, and I haven't used this illustration in any of the other services. So you people must really need it. Just kidding. Let's invest in family, community. Let's serve. And now, let's pray. Lord, as we look at this story, as we look at the stories behind this story, we are grateful to you that you use ordinary people like us. I pray, we pray especially for those who always feel kind of like on the outside of this because of shame, because of an episode or episodes by which they define themselves. Would you, Holy Spirit, lift their hearts and their heads? Lord, some of us, you are waiting for us to surrender. We've got questions. And give us the ability, we pray, to surrender in the midst of questions. We pray for anybody here who doesn't yet know you, and they are keeping you at arm's length because of the questions. May it be, Lord, that their questions, right as they are, good as they are, do not become a barrier betwixt them and you. And it might be that even as I continue this prayer, you might whisper to God, I surrender to you, I choose you, I want to follow you. Thank you that you respond to our fragility. You know us. Help us to be persistent in prayer, to pick up those prayers that we may have, have abandoned. And as we just wait before the Lord, let's just think about that in the quietness. What prayers have we laid aside that perhaps it's time to pick them up again? And you say, I've done that. Is it time to be persistent and keep doing that? And finally, Lord, thank you for the privilege of community. Thank you for church. Help us to go deeper together. Thank you for those that serve. Would you help all of us? Whether it's within the context of church or in our community, we realize that our callings are diverse and different. But help us to engage with faith, with our sleeves rolled up, as it were, ready to serve you. Finally, Father, we pray especially today 
for your people in Burkina Faso. And we cry out to you on their behalf, Lord, for your protection, for your peace, for your grace. Thank you for the stellar example that they set us with the freedom that we enjoy and celebrate. Thank you for their graciousness. Please lift their heads and hearts today. They've requested that we pray. We are doing that now. And we pray for your people around the world who worship you behind locked doors and in the shadows. Would you strengthen them today? We pray. So we give you thanks and praise for your goodness. You are our foundation, our cornerstone, and we are glad. We agree together in Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.